Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. I will be reading from Jeremiah verses, no, chapter 17, verses 5 to 10. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose heart turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in the inhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sent out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall not stay green. No, its leaves shall stay green, sorry about that. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and the search of the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Thanks be to God, it's the word of the Lord. Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke, Luke's book, and the verses are from 17 to 26. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are ye who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe, woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe, woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did 
did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Our reading from the writings of Emanuel Swedenborg this morning comes from Arcana Celestia, section 8455. The truth of peace is the divine truth itself present in heaven and coming from the Lord. It influences all there without exception and causes heaven to be heaven. Peace holds within itself trust in the Lord, the trust that he governs all things and provides all things, and that he leads toward an end that is good. When a person believes these things about him, he is at peace since he fears nothing and no anxiety about things to come disturbs him. How far a person attains this state depends on how far he attains love to the Lord. Everything bad, especially trust in self, takes away the state of peace. People think that someone bad is at peace when he is calm and cheerful because everything is going well for him. But this is not peace. It is the calm and delight belonging to evil desires that merely simulates the state of peace. This delight being the opposite of the delight belonging to peace turns to undelight in the next life, for that is what lies hidden within it. I've never really talked about it to anyone, but I'm assuming this is true amongst most people who have to preach. You're sitting there, you've worked up your sermon, and then other people read the Bible verse, and like, oh, I should have talked about that. Always something more. There's always something that hits you when you don't expect it. Now, this is a very popular, popular reading. People love the blessed are the poor, the blessed are the hungry, blessed are those who weep. People love it. It touches our heart. It makes us feel that there's divine retribution, divine reward. It's a promise that things will be lifted from us. It seems revolutionary, right? That, that the people who have not will be given something eventually. Um, I don't know if, anyone, if this stood out to anyone, because it stood out to me as it was being read. Woe to you who are now laughing. I'm, I'm not rich, but I laugh from time to time. <laughs> I do, I promise, I do, I laugh. But most people think I'm sullen and don't laugh, but I do. There's actually something troubling about this because we really like to point out about how it's those people who are going to get their just rewards, right? Those bad people, they're going to be put in their place and I'm going to be elevated to my rightful place. But I laugh. You know, we like to read the Bible as a way to put other people down and to raise ourselves up. But what if that's not what's going on here? Because I bet you that not everyone in that crowd, in fact, we know not everyone in that crowd was poor. Nicodemus, quite wealthy, 
We're pretty sure he was in the crowd. I'm sure some of the people there were experiencing good times and laughing. And it was a, hey, be weary. Understand that things change. It's easy for us to look at this reading and say, this is a promise for the future. But he's saying that droughts come. Droughts come to the rich, to the happy. They come to lots of people. And if one looks, I read this really interesting book on the architectural history of Jerusalem, showing what they believe historically was the various groups that had kind of taken over over times and you had layers upon layers. Like in Jesus' time, it would have looked really Greco-Roman on the outside, but the insides of all of the buildings would be very Eastern. Right? They had layers of different influences. I'm, I think about like Mauritius. I don't know how many people know Mauritius, but it's this island that's been taken over tons of time and it has layers upon layers of different cultural and ethnic meanings. So the, Jerusalem was like this. The idea that the wealthy would be powerful forever was not something that was, I think, real to them in the same way. They, they had been taken over so many different times. The Pharisaic movement was all about saying, don't trust the buildings, trust the mountains. Now, a lot of people don't get this because we're not biblical scholars generally unless you happen to have gone and done that. There is a huge fight in the early part of the Bible about whether or not temple religion or hill religion gets to win out. Early in the Bible, all of the good stories happen on top of a mountain. Right? Until Moses has an experience on top of the mountain, brings the mountain down, and sticks it into a tabernacle, which eventually becomes a temple. Well, then there is a fight between the high places and the low places. So the Pharisaic movement, which was a movement of the people, was generally anti-temple. The wealthy of those days were people who did business in the temple. The statement that we actually have here, and this is where we don't understand the culture of the Bible. We read it and we think about our culture. We think about rich and poor and happy and sad and working and non-working in terms of what we understand. But that isn't really what's always being written about. This was revolutionary because it was telling the political leaders that they were going to be overthrown. But it doesn't say that. But everyone who heard it would have known that. In Jerusalem, the rich people lived behind walls. They had security guards. They kept the poor people out. There were, depending on how rich you were, you had different walls you could go by. Walls that divided people. What I find interesting in this reading, the thing that when I read it, that jumped out at me in a way that it never had before, because we all like the blessed or the poor. It sounds really great. The thing that really stuck out to me was he came down and stood with them on a level place. How many people pick that up in the reading? It's not like the key. It's not the center of the reading. It doesn't seem like it's the main point. But Jesus went to a level place to talk to people. 
He went to be with the people. He did not go to the acoustically best place. He went to the place where people could touch him. And guess what they did? They ran to touch him. He did not ask them, by the way, are you rich or poor? Are you happy or sad? Are you hungry or fed? He did not ask them, are you worthy of being healed? It says specifically, as they were trying to touch him, he healed all of them. Didn't ask who was deserving. Anyone who was there and reaching out was healed. Now, you know me, I'm going to pop on my Swedenborgian hat and say there's something going on in this story that's actually about your life. And I'm going to do it through the use of the Jeremiah reading about this tree. Now, I think when we read the Jeremiah reading, everybody was aware the Bible was not giving us horticultural advice, right? The Bible was not saying we should plant our trees in this way. We all understood that we were the trees, I'm guessing, right? The story's pretty clear. It is an analogy, or Swedenborg would call it a correspondence. The tree is a person. And the prophet is giving us advice in the way that prophets always do. The prophet is telling us that we need to be cautious of how we choose to live. Now, I want to be clear. The, the prophet, as a, we're, in a, we're in a period of reading about prophets right now in the lectionary, but the prophet, the prophet never actually does any of the things he warns about. Right? The prophet is not a mean guy who's like, I'm going to come and punish you. He just points out, hey, guys, not a good idea. That's what the prophet does. The prophet is not coming here telling you that if you don't do what he wants, he's going to hurt you. He's saying that these actions bring about unintended consequences. Now, again, you have to understand the prophets to know he's referring to a covenant. He's referring to a promise that was made to God that people are routinely breaking, and they know they are breaking it. When David did things with his various wives, he knew he was breaking covenants. When The entire story of the Bible is actually a story about the leaders of Israel breaking covenants. There are books upon books by Jewish scholars talking about how the whole point of scripture is saying, hey, you're making a mistake. Live a better life. And it's a tool to help us understand we can change how we live. So in this situation, we have three key elements. A tree, a river, and a climate. Now, I've talked about the Lazy River a few times, but just in case people don't know what the Lazy River is, it is not like the California River, but it is engineered. The Lazy River is a very popular, well, is a ride in an amusement park that I find to be popular. It's like, right, it's my speed. It's a 15-foot wide pool that goes around in a big loop, and you sit in an inner tube and you ride slowly around it. It's tubing for the wimp. Okay, I love it. Because for me, it's a metaphor for God's divine providence. It's something I can fight against. 
the current is not so strong that I even notice it's there. But if I sit still, I move. And what's odd is you move towards the center of the river. You have to actually try to go to an edge. But if you just don't fight it, you just go towards the center of the river and you go around. Very calming. There's always kids who get in the way and are trying to run the opposite direction, who are splashing, who are kicking, you get wet. It's, it happens. But this river, one might call it a river of life that is being mentioned in our story today, is this type of a river which is so calm and so peaceful that you might not realize it's even there. But you're the tree. You're a tree planted in a spot that is close enough that you can grow roots towards a river that will sustain you in drought. It's a beautiful picture. But you know, there's something unsettling about it. How do you grow roots? I asked myself this question when I started thinking about this passage. How does one grow roots? You see, I don't, most of the trees I see, I don't see roots. How many of you see roots? Roots generally are under the surface. They're hard to see. If a tree is analogous to our lives, and the branches that reach out and bear fruit are kind of like the things we do, the roots are the things that we don't see. The roots are the foundation and the things that motivate us, that give us direction, the things that drive us. They are the things that maybe some of the people can see some of the things because we talk about them because they're on the surface, but there are tap roots. There are all different sorts of roots. And they're things that we generally do not see. So how do we grow our roots? You know, one of the things that I think is funny, and I don't know how many people know this, the majority of trees, this is not true universally, so if there are any people who know lots about trees out there, I know you can find an exception. The majority of trees have roots that extend the width of their crown. What it means is what you see on top, you see underneath. In other words, what we do as we reach out actually grows the stability of our tree system. Does that make sense? The fruit, the larger and better and tastier it is, means that we are getting more and more water. So there, there is a way that we can actually examine our roots even though we don't always know what they are. And I mean, when I say that, I'm not saying I don't know what somebody's roots are because I'm the tree next to them and I'm looking at them and I don't see their roots. I mean, we do not always know what our roots are. Because even the tree that looks down at its own feet doesn't see its own roots. Roots are difficult things, but this is the importance of Swedenborg's notion of service. Why it is so important that we actively do service to other people, because it is in the reaching out of our branches that we grow our roots. We can look at our crown and understand our foundation. 
What does this mean for us? If we are not spiritually getting what we need, do you know what happens with trees when they don't get enough water? They start closing down from the outside in. The crown will shrink if there isn't enough roots to give it support. In other words, as we are not spiritually getting what we, we, what we need, the people, like the people in, in Jerusalem, we build walls. We put up walls. Trump, by the way, is not the only one who builds walls. Make no mistake, we are all building walls. We are all saying who are the haves and the have-nots. We all want to say this person does not agree with me, so I am not going to give them what they want. We all do it. We all close ourselves off to others. It is really hard not to. It is difficult. It takes practice. It takes work to reach out and get beyond the walls that we shut down out of fear, out of anger, out of stress, out of lack of trust. Trust and obey to a certain degree. If we trust and obey, sorry, Laura, she'll put the sermon on the web and hear this. It's really loud for her. If we trust and obey, it's an act of reaching outside of ourselves. Sometimes we have to engage in things that we do not want to do if we want to grow. Does that make sense? We like to call it practice. We have musicians over here, I think. You guys ever practice? Was there ever a time in musician land when you said, boy, I really wish I didn't need to practice today, but I got to practice. Deliberate practice is essential to growth. How do you grow your roots? You do it through deliberate practice of growing your crown. You do it through deliberately asking yourselves, how do I break down the walls? How do I get beyond the fear that is so often controlling me? That's the heart of service, is about going to the person who is the other, the person who you oftentimes say, this is the person who doesn't deserve it. Service isn't just about helping your friends. It can't be. That's not service. Service is about reaching out beyond what you normally define as your inner circle. Otherwise, you're just feeding your family. Service is about reaching beyond your current crown. It's about offering shade to people who are currently not in your shade. It's about expanding your understanding. It's expanding your canopy to include more people. It takes deliberate practice. But it is possible. It is possible to grow your roots through faith and trust in not just the neighbor, but in God to become a more loving person. Now I want to make a statement here because one of the things that oftentimes what we want out of religion is, boy, God, if I do the right thing, you're going to give me what I want, right? You know, we do this with other people. If I'm nice to this person and if I do what they want, they're going to give me the thing that I want. 
That is not expanding your canopy. To say, I'm going to make sure that I pick all my socks up off the ground because that's going to make it so I get an extra special dinner tonight from my spouse. That is not loving your spouse. To say, I'm going to help this person out because then I'm going to get a good picture and I'm going to be appointed to the governor's council. Right? That's, that's not being a good person. That's not reaching beyond your canopy. To be of service means to go into the places of discomfort and shade the person who is currently not getting shade. Droughts will come. You will do good things that you will not be rewarded for. You will do good things and feel like you have been spat upon, kicked out of your home, and crucified. It's just true. Happened to the prophets. Happened to the body of Christ. It happens all the time. Doing what is right will not get you what you want. It will transform who you are. It will enlarge your canopy. It will make it so the fruits of your goodness are identifiable to you and the people who are around you, even in the middle of a desert. In other words, it doesn't change the desert, but it does change the way you can respond to the desert. Being good is not quid pro quo, and it never will be. If you want to feel the rewards of divine love, if you want to feel the rewards of truly loving and living, it means stretching your canopy to someone who is not currently shaded. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowdoin Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.